This is Pastor Bob Yandian. What if your hearing contradicts the Word of God? What if your eyesight contradicts the Word of God? What if your common sense even contradicts the Word of God? Go with the Word of God. You know why? These things are written that you may know. That's what I'm teaching on today. So let's wrap around the Word of God and enjoy ourselves. For more than 40 years, Bob Yandian has been an expositor of the Bible, making seemingly complicated doctrine easy to understand. Grab your Bible and something to take notes with and study the Word of God with Pastor Bob Yandian. Good morning and welcome again to Student of the Word with Pastor Bob Yandian. I want you to open to John chapter 20 today. While you're turning there, uh, today we're going to be talking about the importance of the Word of God in your life. And I've entitled this when these are written. And this phrase or something close to it is found many, many times in the New Testament. And the reason why it says these are written is because the Greek literally means it stands written. It will never, ever change. And uh, even though uh, people have changed and nations have changed and societies have changed, the Word of God lives and abides forever. And uh, my favorite verse on the Word of God is Isaiah 33, 6. There it says, Wisdom and knowledge shall be the stability of your times and the strength of your salvation. The fear of the Lord is his treasure. Three things about that verse of Scripture is wisdom and knowledge. It shall be the stability of your times. And uh, wisdom and knowledge are the two applications of the Word of God. One is input of the Word of God, and uh, that is knowledge. Then wisdom is output of the Word of God, correct application of the promises of God to the circumstances of life. And this is what God wants us to do, is whenever we face the circumstances of life, to apply the Word of God to it. Notice what's first of all said, the wisdom and knowledge will be the stability of your times. This is what God wants in the world, not just converts, but stable believers. And this is why we had this broadcast. I'm here to help you become a stable believer that in the midst of a world falling apart, getting worse every single day, you can stand up. Much like when David stood before the Goliath and that he was huge, everybody was afraid of him. But he simply looked at him and said, how dare you come against the armies of the living God? He had the divine viewpoint of life to look through the divine things of the word of God. Or as it says in chapter five of Hebrews, he had his senses that's seeing and hearing and touching and smelling and tasting. He had his senses exercised to discern both good and evil. There comes a day when you can trust your eyes, you can trust your ears, you can touch these, uh, trust these natural things that have been given to you because you've retrained them away from the world into the things of God. But in the meantime, if what you see contradicts the word, go with the word. If what you hear contradicts the word, go with the word. If your common sense says this isn't true, go with the word of God because your common sense can be retrained. Your ears can be retrained. Your eyes can be retrained. And so this is what he was talking about there in Isaiah 33, 6. It goes on to say, it'll be the stability of your times and strength of salvation. This is where we're going to begin today. The word of God becomes your strength of salvation because I don't know of a Christian yet that hasn't grown to a certain point that woke up one day and said, I don't know if I'm saved or not. Do you think I'm really saved? I think it was too simple. I, I just put my faith and trust in Jesus, accepted him as the Lord of my life. Is that all there is to it? And the answer is yes, yes, and double yes. That's all there is to it. But you say, but I don't know if I feel saved. I feel like God's a million miles away. Don't trust your feelings. Don't trust your common sense. Don't, don't trust your own discernment of the situation. Go to the word of God and you'll find out you are saved. Go with the word of God. 
God and your feelings and your common sense and all this other stuff will have to eventually come in line. Because you know why? The Bible says you're saved and why argue with God? Then it goes on to say the fear of the Lord is his treasure. The highest possession you have is the word of God. The most valued thing you have is the word of God. Above all possessions in life, above everything after salvation, it is the most important thing in your life. Salvation is putting your faith and trust in Jesus. Then after salvation for discipleship is putting your faith and trust in the word of God. Jesus said in John 8 to those who just believed in him, they had just got saved while he was preaching. He says, now if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. You'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. I just want to bring out some things in the Bible about these are written. We'll talk about the different things we're looking at to where we can have assurance in these areas of life. Because you know what, there's days when you don't have a friend around, you don't have your pastor around, you don't have, and you know, and you might have to have to look through a number of books to find out the subject you want to look at, go straight to the word of God. And if it says it, just accept it, okay? And not just one verse, but in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. Find scriptures that agree with that so you'll know you're standing on solid ground. If you do, then stand there, say it to the devil, it is written, it is written, it is written. Say it to the circumstances of life, it is written. What should we then say to these things? What things? Famine, pestilence, all the different things that surround us day by day. If God be for me, you cannot be against me. We speak to circumstances. As Jesus spoke to trees and spoke to disease and spoke to his heavenly father, we can quote the word of God to the circumstances around us. If God be for me, you cannot be against me. And so this is what we're coming back to today. These are written. The first one's in John chapter 20 and verse 31. I trust you found it by now. And for those of you watching for the first time, welcome. Glad to have you here. I'm on every day, Monday through Friday, and I know it's a blessing. I've listened. There's some things you want to go back and check up on. I have a YouTube channel and it's archived. I mean, hundreds and hundreds of television broadcasts are archived there where you can watch them. And what I like to do is, is you know, I know there's not a whole lot to watch and you just see me move my hands or my lips move or something. What I'm saying is what's important. And you can put this in your car and, and run it through, you know, with a, uh, you know, hook it up to your radio and listen to it through the car. And, you know, I, I do that on trips and stuff. I take sermons because I don't have to see necessarily the person standing behind a small pulpit or walking back and forth. I listen to what they're saying. And you can do this in the car. And believe me, it will transform. And it's so much better than just country music, you know, for 20 or 30 minutes going to work. It's a whole lot better than, you know, classic rock or especially better than listening to some uh, station, you know, news station or something like that. And so, but if you do that, your life will drastically change, understanding the word of God. So find those places in your life where kind of you just assume I I'm not going to do anything. And so this is the time when I go blank in my mind and listen to talk radio or classic rock or Western music or whatever it is, man, put something that's going to benefit you to where you're going to come to your office after listening for 30 minutes and go, oh my God, man, I, I can't get to that. This is all I'm going to think about today is just that scripture that had revelation to it. Boy, that'll change your life. John 20 and verse 31, these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and believing you might have life through his name. Here's the whole wrap up of eternal life. It's also found in 1 John chapter 2, verse 12. I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven and for, your name, for his namesake. 
How simple is that? It's just simply saying you are saved. Did you put your faith and trust in Jesus? Yes, then you are saved. If instead of questioning it, wondering where the feeling is that you've had before, salvation may produce a feeling, but salvation is not a feeling. I had a man honestly tell me one time, he said, I had a headache before I accepted Jesus. I still had the headache after I accepted Jesus. Headache had nothing to do with accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior. You are saved because you did it the way the Bible says. And so here it's written again, that you may believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that believing you might have life through his name. So whether Jesus said it, because he's the one that brought it out too, that putting faith and trust in him produces salvation, or whether in this case, John said it, or Peter said it in 2 Peter chapter one, it's true. It's written to give us assurance of our salvation. It doesn't matter how we feel or how we think, what matters is it is written. And in these two verses, along with many more in the word of God, what is it that makes us saved? It's faith and trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Basically, it's getting off the throne of your life and letting Jesus get on there. That's not only accepting him as your Savior, that's accepting him as your Lord. And you get yourself off the throne because if you don't know Jesus, you may say Buddha's sitting there. You may say others, you may follow after them, but basically you put yourself on there. You chose to follow after Buddha, Muhammad. I don't care who else it is. It, listen, when you choose one day to get that person off the throne, you're basically just putting yourself off the throne because in everything else, you're self-centered. I can do this. I can get myself to heaven. I can get myself in the presence of God. I can save myself. And I'm gonna do it through the writings of this one or that one. There comes a time when you realize I can't do squat. I mean, I have flubbed up everything I've ever done. Nothing in my life seems to have worked out right. I'm gonna put Jesus on the throne. And on that day, you step off the throne, put him on the throne and realize he's not only my savior, save me from sin, but he's also my Lord. I give myself to him. So. That's what it comes down to. So number one is salvation. Number two is the witness of Jesus Christ of his life and miracles. If Jesus said in his word that he never changes, then really it comes back to it. Miracles and signs and wonders still exist today. They didn't stop at any certain time. And John 21 tells us this in verse 24. This is the disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things. John talking about himself. And we know that his testimony is true. When he testifies of these things, he's talking about the miracles that Jesus did and even mentions at the end of John that he said, if we were to name all the things that happened, we don't have time for it. There are so many things it would fill volumes and volumes of books. And I believe the compilation of what we have, when Jesus healed a blind man, he healed many other blind people. He healed a deaf person. Uh, he healed many deaf people uh, whenever he healed someone that came to him and literally set them free from incurable diseases such as leprosy. That just stands for one of many that was done. And so the Bible makes sure it's hit all these issues. But coming back to this, himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. And that is absolutely true. Matthew recorded that in chapter eight. So again, whether it's Jesus or whether it's John or whether it's Matthew, anybody that writes these things, and especially when they all line up with each other, it's simply confirming over and over again that Jesus Christ, again, is our witness. And here we have the truth of his life and miracles. Jesus healed and performed miracles, and the Bible says he never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He performed miracles in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, there was like this abundance. It's like they pull, they just pull the stops away and pulled away the dam and all of a sudden it all came flowing out and God's mercy came out in abundance. 
But again, we can be assured of this. Why are we assured of it? Yeah, but so-and-so argues against it. This denomination doesn't believe it. It come back to it. If the Bible says it, go with the word of God. And you can trust him, not only for the healing of others, but the healing of yourself. Because you know what? It's all tied up with what Jesus did on the cross and presented to the multitudes. It's part of our example and part of our power for witnessing. Thirdly is the assurance of our foundation of faith. First Peter chapter five and verse 12 says this, by Silvanus, a faithful brother to you, as I suppose I have written briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God wherein you stand. No matter your background, no matter your mistakes or sins, Sylvanus probably had a lot of mistakes in his past, a lot of sins in his past, but no matter your background, your mistakes or sins, God's grace has given you eternal life and an eternal standing with God. I want you to understand too, it's an eternal standing with God. And we can stand in that. Where do we stand? Again, we stand on that which has been written, that which has been given to us, the faithful word of God. And no matter how you feel, God's word stands as our foundation and your foundation of faith. How do I know I'm going to heaven? How do I know I have a future? Because it's written in the word of God. And all around me looks like things are falling apart. The floor is dropping out from under me. Everything I put my faith in before this is crumbling all around me. But when you put it in the word of God, you stand on a sure foundation that will not shake and fall apart. There's coming a day when you will be there and everything else might have fallen apart, but the word of God lives and abides forever. When we come back for halftime, we will take up for this part of the lesson and continue on. And so the next thing we're going to talk about is how to maintain joy. It's found in the Word of God. See you right after the break. John 1.1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Without the Word of God, our lives would be unstable and without direction. There would be no hope for believers or, for that matter, the entire world. In this seven-part series, Pastor Bob Yandian emphasizes and explains the vital necessity of the Word of God in the life of every believer. Sermon titles include A More Sure Word of Prophecy, The Inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God's Reputation, The Wisdom of God's Word, The Merchandise of Wisdom, Wisdom, Riches, and Honor, and Jesus, Our Wisdom. To order Importance of the Word, visit our website at bobbyendian.com. This newly revised and expanded handbook is packed with biblical wisdom and practical guidance from the pastoral trenches. It will help to equip and encourage you in your ministry. Bobby Endian, a veteran pastor of more than 30 years, provides answers to common questions relating to your everyday pastoral duties and personal life. Bob covers topics such as the first pastor's conference in Acts 20, passion versus calling, daily schedules, living a balanced life, wolves after your sheep, the glorious church, pastors need pastors, whose flock do you pastor, spiritual workaholics, family before ministry, the pastor's heart, and the bond of peace. Bob will help you apply timeless biblical wisdom to the issues and dynamics of today's pastoral ministry. To order, visit our website at bobyandian.com. Bob Yandian Ministries is training up a new generation in the Word of God. Because of your generosity, this teaching ministry is able to change countless lives. You will never know until you get to heaven how many people received Jesus, were filled with the Holy Spirit, healed or found God's will for their life through your support and prayers. 
If you would like to become a partner with Bob Yandian, visit bobyandian.com and click on Partnership. I want you to turn with me to 1 John chapter 1 and verse 4. We're going to talk about maintaining joy in this lifetime. While you're finding that, let me again say, for those of you watching the first time, watch, those of you that have watched uh, for months, those of you that have been watching for years, thanks for your faithfulness. Your faithfulness to watch, your faithfulness to pray, but also those who become partners with me. And that is an outward demonstration of the partnership that we have in our heart. Partnership doesn't start with, I like him, I'm gonna become a partner with him. It starts with a connection. And that connection on the inside is our hearts are first of all drawn together. You listen, you go, that's, that's what I believe. And oh, I didn't know that, but I've learned that today. It's things that open up to you and you say, this is what I've been looking for. That's who I'm looking for to become a partner with me because why? We're not giving because we agree on everything and never will agree on everything. But what we do agree on is incredible. And so you're helping to support this broadcast. If you'd like to become a partner with me and join those hundreds and hundreds who are partners with me already, then go to my website, bobyandian.com. You'll find a place there where you can become a partner with me. And believe me, I thank you in advance. Thank you for just simply being obedient to the Holy Spirit or obedient to what you desire to do because joining yourself into a ministry can be as you purpose in your own heart, become a giver, Thank you in advance, bobbyandian.com, and I'm looking forward to hearing from you. 1 John 1, 4 says this, these things we write to you that your joy may be full. Our joy should be built on the foundation of what is written, not on how we feel. Joy is not necessarily a feeling. It's a knowing, and we know what the word of God says. Our joy should be built on the foundation of what is written. How we feel, how we think at the moment is trumped by scripture. Whatever we feel at the moment, we may feel happy at the moment, but you know what? That happiness can come and go. God doesn't come just to give us happiness, although there are times of happiness when we praise, worship, shout, rejoice over something great that's happened. But you know what? When that feeling dies down, the joy of the Lord is still on the inside of us. Here's another thing too. Outward circumstances may be terrible. I mean, it could be that all hell's breaking loose. Your friends have turned from you. Jesus had it. David had it. Others had it in the word of God. And you might find out the things you put your trust in naturally around you are failing you. And there's times when you feel like, oh my goodness, what's going on? But it does it doesn't trump, it doesn't override, it doesn't overturn the joy that is in your heart. These things write we unto you that your joy may be full. In fact, this verse I quoted, 1 John 1, 4, is a prelude and introduction to remaining in fellowship with God. Leading up to 1 John 1, 9 and 10. In 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The only time as a Christian you can truly lose your joy is when you get into sin, but the joy returns the moment you confess your sins. And that's why 1 John 1, 4 says, I write these things that your joy may be full. That means continuous at all times. David did not lose his salvation with Bathsheba. Although there's people who want to say that, the sin he committed of adultery with Bathsheba, a baby being born out of wedlock, and even murder of her husband. When he confessed his sins before the Lord, he said, Lord, restore unto me the joy of your salvation. He didn't lose his salvation, but boy, did he lose the joy of it. And some of the Psalms he wrote during that time showed the depression that was on the inside of him, the floundering for, for answers that was on the inside of him. But again, eventually the joy of the Lord was restored back to him. So our joy comes to us on what is written. Is there's been times you look around and say, well, I'm not into sin, but man, it seemed like I've lost my joy. Return back to the word of God. These things we write to you that your joy may be full. Again, so our joy should be built on the foundation of what is written. And again, whether we feel or think 
at the moment in line or out of line with the word of God should always be compared to the word of God. And if they contradict, go with the word of God because the, what you feel can change, what you've experienced can change. And again, God wants this to be something on the inside of you. The joy is not necessarily a feeling, it's a knowledge. It's a knowledge of what you have. Next of all, number five is to stay free from sin. First John 2, 1, my little children, these things I write to you that you do not sin. If any man does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. What else is the word of God given to us for? It's the strength to resist sin. These things I write to you that you do not sin. Notice he didn't say you won't sin. He says, I write them to you so that you won't sin. Will you sin? Of course, there's times you will. Then he goes on to add to that. But if you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. How do I know I have that? Because it's written right here in these verses. You have an advocate. That's an attorney someone fighting for you in heaven. And the good news is Satan may try to come and accuse you before the throne of God like he did Job and accused him before the throne of God. And he still does this. Romans chapter eight, who shall come against us? It's it's Satan coming against us at the throne of heaven because the moment we sin, bam, Satan's right there in front of God to accuse us. Look at there, your child, your son, your daughter has sinned. But if I confess my sin, you know what happens? It's immediately overturned. God just simply says, case dismissed, the thing is over and I am released because I've confessed my sins. And anyway, it comes back to this. The deck is stacked against Satan anyway. Think about this. God the Father is the judge, and Jesus Christ is my defense attorney, and Satan is the one accusing me. He's not even a family member. So I've already got my father on the throne and Jesus Christ standing next to him, my my brother, and he's defending me. So Satan is not a member of the family of God at all. So again, it says, if any man does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, a between, a go-between, an attorney, though someone that stands there and fights as our defense with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. So the word gives us strength to resist sin and also the temptation to sin. Whenever the temptation's there, quote the word of God. What did Jesus do in the face of temptation? Three temptations were given to him by Satan. And number one, it is written. Number two, it is written. Number three, it is written. And Satan departed for a season. Oh, he'll always come back, but what causes him to turn and run? It's the word of God. He then goes away and tries to figure out a new way to come back at us, but still gonna end up that we win and Satan loses if we stand on the word of God. The word also gives instruction on how to come back to God when we do sin. And again, we quoted that in this verse of scripture, if any man does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Where we didn't have that as a sinner, we do as a saint. And becoming a saint simply goes to Jesus and accepts salvation. At that moment, we become a priest before our high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. And 1 John 1, 9 then applies to us. If we confess our sins, that's what a priest does. That verse could not be written to sinners because sinners are not priests. Once we become a priest, then now we go to Jesus Christ with that sin, with a prayer request, with any kind of, of addressing God. We have it. We can come boldly before the throne of grace because we are a priest unto our great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. Number six is this, to remind us of our relationship with the Father and our authority over Satan. So this one tells us, here's my relationship with God and here's my relationship to Satan. I'm under the Father, but Satan's under me. I love that, don't you? Okay, First John chapter two, verse 13 and 14. I write to you fathers because you have known him that is from the beginning. 
I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. Let's just break this down. The word of God is written to all levels of spiritual growth. It's written to the fathers, those who've been saved for years, understand the word of God and can give us their wisdom. Number two, it's written to the young men, those that are growing in the things of God, accepting ministry, finding their position in the body of Christ. And then finally, it is written to little children. And in each case, he has something to say to them, but here's what the word of God teaches. The word is written and written for all spiritual ages of believers. The word of God that is written for all spiritual levels of believers. Although it's listed here in the mail, it's fathers and young men and, and you know newborns and stuff in the body of Christ. It applies to spiritual wisdom. Women too. And so spiritual fathers in the faith are told to share their wisdom. I like what I heard one time. We need old men around the church and old women around the church that we can go to. And usually they don't spout out a lot of scripture. I like what David said. I once was young, now I'm old, yet have I never seen. He starts talking about things he has seen. And older men love to just go back and you present a problem to him. And instead of giving you a scripture, they give you a testimony. Why? Because it's so real in their heart how it work for them. And usually that is such a thing that will apply to you. So spiritual fathers in the faith are told to share their wisdom. What I heard was this, what you want from an old man is his wisdom and not so much his ideas. His ideas could be 40 years old, but his wisdom can be eternal. So if you ask him what color we need to paint this, what kind of furniture we need to set in the auditorium, he'll probably tell you something from the 1970s, 1980s. And it's just simply saying, look, that's not what you're needing. Go get yourself an interior decorator. But man, when it comes to spiritual wisdom, you need to hear from them because they will share things with you that have worked for centuries and centuries and centuries. And in this person's life, it's worked for decades. Spiritual young men are told to share their understanding of their authority over Satan and demons. In other words, when a young person and comes to them and says, man, all hell's breaking loose in my life. They just simply look, Satan's been placed under your feet. He told you, you can trample on serpents and scorpions. Serpents are big demons and scorpions are little demons. And over all the works of the enemy and Satan himself has been placed under your feet. So understand this, when you see all hell breaking loose around you, take authority over it and understand it will have to subside when you stand in faith on the name of Jesus. Young believers are told to understand their relationship with the father and their position as a child of God. You don't know a whole lot of the word, but do understand this. God is your father and Jesus is your brother and the devil's no relation at all. You used to be in the devil's family. Now you're in God's family. Understand your relationship with the father and all those around you as a position, as a child of God. It's simply saying, what spiritual level are you on? Are you in a place of great wisdom? Then ask those that have a great wisdom to share their wisdom with you. Are you in trouble with, you know, circumstances going wrong around you? Well, have those that are spiritually young to share about your authority over Satan and demons. And number three is if you're a young believer, just understand this. Trust in God as your father. You may be young and immature, but how much more do we take care of those that are young and immature? In other words, a child in the family, we go out of our way to protect them because why? They can't protect themselves. And in the beginning of your Christian life, this is exactly what happens. So leadership for knowledge and example is given to 
to the spiritual fathers, the young men, to set the examples before the new converts. Number seven, to remember the word. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 21. I have written to you because you do know the truth, but because you do know the truth and that there is no lie in the truth. We all need to understand that all things are written, even things we don't understand at the moment, and we're to trust those who have written the scriptures and those who instruct us in the word of God. That is our ministers. Number eight, and I'm gonna end with this. God warns us of false ministers. 1 John 2.26, these things I have written to you concerning them that seduce you. The word is given to us to recognize false teachers and false prophets who among us come and they want to infiltrate like wolves in sheep's clothing. But Jesus and the writers of the New Testament all warned us about learning to recognize them. And in so doing, how do we recognize them? We compare them to the word of God and their intentions are made clear. I trust you've been blessed today. Can't wait to see you for the next broadcast. Have a great day. You can order resources, become a partner, or browse free articles and podcasts by visiting our website at bobyandian.com. Join our mailing list and receive weekly devotions and the latest ministry updates. If you would like to contact Bob Yandian Ministries, visit bobyandian.com and click on contact. To contact us by mail, use the address on your screen. Thank you for watching today's broadcast. We'll see you next time on Student of the Word with Bob Yandian.